Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life, a ministry of the International Outreach Church Partnership Evangelism. Go to traincpe.org to learn more about how you can help us reach lost people around the world by raising up evangelists in every place. Or go to breadoflifeboise.org to learn about our missions fellowship here in Boise, Idaho. And now to God's Word. Today we begin a consideration of one of the hallmarks of a spiritually vibrant church. That church will become quite active in service to the Lord, but at the same time, the spiritually healthy church will also become patiently attentive, eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. Well, again, take your Bibles and go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let me read to you verses 9 and 10, and our, the title of our message is The Waiting Church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Paul speaking to the Thessalonians of the message that's coming back to him from all the different communities around Thessalonica. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus Christ, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This verse that we've just quoted is often used to refer to and to give reference to the conversion that God brings to someone when they're saved. The saved person, when they come to God, is turned by God to God. And immediately, once they've turned to God, there begins this pivot in their life away from the idols that have been their focus to serve God himself and God alone. And they're not saved by this turning. They're simply saved by confessing their sins and putting their faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work for them at the cross. His blood shed to take the punishment for their sins. His resurrected life received by them through faith. And in that, the reception of all of his righteousness. In other words, all the bad that we've done on him. All the good that he did in his life on us. And we take that all by faith. But this faith, this saving faith, immediately releases us into a converting or a turning that God coordinates in our lives. And you can count on this. If a person by the power of God has turned to Jesus Christ and turned completely in faith to him, that turn will initiate a moment in their life in which they begin to walk away from all the idols that have been in their past and all the things that they served and all the things that they bowed down before. At that very moment, there arises within their life a divinely orchestrated activity in which they seek to, in that turn, to serve and live for God. They begin to immediately look for opportunities to seek God in his word and they start reading the Bible, for example, or they get busy going going to church. They just go to it as often as they can to study and learn and commune with other believers. This is what happened to the early church. We read what happened on the day of Pentecost and immediately on that moment, a body of believers were initiated in a pursuit of knowing God and fellowshipping together and worshiping to God together and praying together and their life began to take a change. They began to loosen hold of the things that they had confidence in before and they began to share all things in common with one another and they began to open up their lives to receive fellowship with one another and they began to go house to house 
seeking out community with one another. And this is all an expression of this change, this conversion, this activation in their life. And, and not only that, they begin to clean out their house. They begin to look at their life and see those things that are not in their spirit in accord with what God has done in their life. And they begin to jettison those things from their life. And so you'll find a person who's a new believer. I had one brother tell me he became a new believer that he had this image of a dolphin that he thought was great. Now listen, they're not necessarily neat and refined and it's not as if everything they do is what the Bible tells them they have to do. But they're just willing to go to the extra mile to remove from their lives things that don't seem to accord with the life they have in Jesus Christ. When this person believed in God and received him as a savior, they began to look at this image that they had in the center of the house as like an idol that they had used to worship nature. And so the first thing they did was take this idol, this carving of a dolphin, and throw it in the garbage. Well, it's not necessary that he did that, but it's the kind of thing that happens. This young couple that I met, I met at this conference who had become missionaries. The husband told me when he became a believer, he'd never been a part of a church before in his life. He didn't know where to go, so for three years he just read his Bible. And then something stirred him. He realized there were actually places where he could go and worship with other believers, and he began to understand that he was kind of listening to Christian radio programs, and then he looked up for a church, and he found the address of a church, and he went to the church, and he went to the very first service, and then he walked up to the pastor at the front of the service. You know, my name is, I can't give you his name because they're in a close access country and I just want to know what do I have to do to become a missionary <laughs> he'd been reading his Bible and thought I've got to serve God I've got to give my life I, I think I'm supposed to go somewhere around the world to proclaim what I've discovered in Jesus Christ it's the kind of thing that happens that conversion that's being spoken about here in first Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9 they get active but another thing happens not only do they get active but they also begin to settle down and wait they become active in one sense, and they become waiting and patiently waiting in another sense. The person who finds Jesus Christ or is found by Christ begins a life of waiting. They uh, quickly begin to realize how weak they are in their own flesh, how worldly is the community that they live in, how wicked is the age that they're a part of. And they begin to wait and long and look for heaven to heaven for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in which he will finalize the outcomes of his kingdom and finalizing glory over all the earth. They long for this glorious kingdom to arrive where Christ will appear and his power and his presence will reign upon the earth. And at that moment, he will deal with and he will transform them from their weak bodies to glorified bodies and he will change the community from all its worldliness to a, a community that's serving and seeking out his purposes and he will do away with the rod of iron all the wickedness of this age and establish an age and a kingdom of glory and they long for that they begin to long for that and look for that they read their bibles and they realize that even before the lord jesus went to the cross he spoke about this coming in the clouds of glory to establish his rule upon the earth. And they say, yes, Jesus, you're my king and make your kingdom on this earth. And they begin to pray after they were taught, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so though they became active, at the same moment they became waiting. Now listen, these people in Thessalonica that Paul is writing to had never known this truth before. There's nothing in their history or in their annals that would have introduced them this idea, nothing in their traditions that would have produced this expectation or hinted at this expectation of a divine Savior who would establish his kingdom of perfect righteousness upon the earth. 
whatever advantages they had sought in their life prior to this point, they'd sought from their idols. Their idols were primarily constructed to be delivery agents for what they wanted in life. And the idols of the Thessalonians were for them what they still are for people today. They're the mediums through which individuals pursue power and pleasure and prestige and protection. That's what idols are. The things you go in order to somehow empower yourself or in order to bring pleasure to yourself or in order to gain some level of power for yourself or something that you rest in in order to provide some sense of protection for yourself. And the Thessalonians were going to their idols to get all of these things. They were going to their idols to somehow protect themselves against bad luck and to get for themselves that kind of good luck that would bring advantages in their life and give them an upper hand in life. But when they came to Christ, they discovered that the Lord Jesus Christ didn't promise them any of those things in this life. Instead, he called them to die to themselves, to become weak so that he might be strong, to take up his cross and follow after him and be willing to suffer for his namesake, to live not for their own privilege and honor and prestige, but to live for his glory and his honor alone, even in the midst of their suffering. He called them to turn away from a life of pursuing idols and to call to be separated from the world in which they lived, separated from the paths of power, the paths of pleasure, the paths of prestige and protection. But with this call, he extended to them this, this promise that they began to realize. He promised to them that the meek would inherit the earth, that those who suffered with him would reign with him that those who served him would gain his well done, that at his right hand were pleasures forevermore, that those who gave all to follow him would gain all that he had, that his goodness and mercy would follow them all the days of their life and that they would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And they began to wait for that and long for that. The other thing that happens for a Christian is they take up this life of wanting to live for God and honor God and serve God. And as they, they do, they begin to realize that their life becomes a, a light of the coming kingdom of God that has now come in their heart. And out of their inmost beings begins to pour out a stream, a river of the water of refreshing that one day will pour out from heaven's throne upon the earth. And they are excited about that. But over time, they begin to realize that the light they shine on the world in which they live is a pin light in comparison to the sunlight that will come upon the earth when Christ comes to reign and that the, the water that they pour out of the life of the kingdom that they pour out on the world they live is, is like a cup poured out or a, a stream trickling out from their life compared to the day when God shall fulfill his promise that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord like the waters or the ocean covers the sea. The earth entirely will be covered with the knowledge of God like a great sweeping ocean of God's glory. And they long for that day. It's, oh God, it's good that I might shine your life, but oh, when the sun rises in this place. Oh God, I'm so glad that I can pour out your life upon this dry ground, but oh God, when the ocean of your presence is upon this earth. They long for that, so they say, even Lord Jesus, we are waiting. Even so, Lord Jesus, please come. Have you ever prayed that God would revive this church? And there's a God, send out the spirit of revival upon the church in this age. You know, when you're doing that, you're not asking God to do something new. You're asking God to do something that he's done before in the life of the church. 
You're asking God to come how and move upon the church in such a way that we might begin to function and act and live as the church in different times when God's Spirit was poured out, lived and functioned and carried out themselves. This waiting church in Thessalonica that lived with a longing for the coming of Jesus Christ to set up this kingdom. To be a waiting church, to be a waiting church. That may be one of the great expressions of God's reviving of his church. If God should revive his church in our day, one of the great identification marks of that church will be that it will become this dramatically, potently active and yet waiting body who's looking to heaven for and longing for the return of Jesus Christ. And If God should revive us in that way, I would like to describe to you what it would look like. What it would look like. And let's take a measure of it so we know how we ought to pray. First, the first thing it would look like is this. We would come together to practice the gathering that we will experience when the Lord Jesus calls us to meet him in the air. We'll come together to practice the gathering that we will experience when the Lord Jesus calls all of us redeemed together to meet him in the air. Paul begins a discussion of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, with these words. Just listen to them. It's very brief. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to Him. You'll have to join us again as we consider the marks of a church that is revived and waiting for Christ to come again. But just keep in mind, if you're praying for a spiritual renewal in your life or in the life of the church, it will renew in you a deep longing for Jesus to come again just as he promised. Thanks for joining us at The Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.